So we're going to try a little experiment today. We're going to try reading a newspaper with Jesus. The famous theologian Karl Barth, who said that to be a Christian requires that you read the newspaper in one hand and read the Bible with the other. Now, a newspaper for everybody under 80 is uh, a real old idea where you take news, what's going on in the world, and put it down on paper, and then you read it. My grandfather, Haskell Hall Sr., was a newspaper man, as were his three sons, Hack, Jack, and Mac, all worked at the newspaper in Rockford, Illinois, when our class would go there on a field trip in grade school. It was the coolest thing in the world. And the idea is we want to be wide awake to what's happening in the world, but we want to do that together with God. And so watching what's happening in the world, trying to understand it, and asking God for wisdom while we're doing it, just pointing it out to Jesus, and remembering that this is his world. I have a little bird that you might be hearing sing along that reminds us of that as well. It's a good thing to do. This particular article is about anxiety. It's actually called In Praise of Anxiety. And it's by an author named Tracy Dennis Tawari, who is trying to reframe our understanding of anxiety. And of course, the Bible has a great deal to say about anxiety and invitations to be anxious for nothing. So to read this and to think about the renovation of the heart which is not just the title of Dallas's book, but every effort to try to help human beings flourish is about trying to recreate or to reform or renovate us from the inside. So thinking about that from a Christian perspective is a real good habit to get into. Here we go. The uh, center thesis of this article is uh, expressed in the second paragraph where Tori says, as a clinical psychologist, neuroscience researcher, I devoted the last 20 years to understanding difficult emotions like anxiety. I believe we mental health professionals have made a terrible mistake. We've convinced people that anxiety is a dangerous affliction and that the solution is to eliminate it as we do other diseases, cancer, diabetes. But feeling anxious isn't the problem. The problem is we don't understand how to respond constructively to anxiety. That's why it's so increasingly hard to know how to feel good. And anxiety is uh, epidemic in our day. And the writer talks about that some. So this point, I think, is a super helpful one to learn to distinguish between me and my feelings. You might remember in the chapter that Dallas has, Transforming the Mind, Part 2, he talks about how uh, I, I need to remember I am not my feelings. And that if I will happily allow God to be God, I have a place to stand in dealing with my feelings so I don't have to fuse with my anxiety. I can observe it. All right, it's a super helpful point. And then the writer goes on that anxiety, what anxiety does, where, where you're fearful of something in particular, I'm afraid that this dog is going to bite me. I'm afraid it's going to, uh, I'm going to flunk this test. Anxiety turns you into a mental time traveler drawing your attention to what lies ahead. Will you succeed or fail in that interview for a job you desperately want? Anxiety prompts your mind and body into action. Your worries impel you to prepare meticulously for that interview. 
while your heart races and pumps blood to your brain. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Cute dog. Uh, so that you stay sharp and focused, primed to pursue your goal. Uh, anxiety puts us into what the author calls the future tense, pun intended. That's actually the title of the book. And the, the oldest uh, diagram, I think, in psychology, is over 100 years old, is based on what's called the Yerkes Dodson Law. And it's the curvilinear relationship between motivation and performance. Really, anxiety is just a form of motivation. So if I'm not very motivated, I don't perform very well. But then if I'm highly motivated, if you tell me that uh, if I pass this test, it will help me get a good grade, then I will perform better. However, if the motivation gets super high, if you tell me that if I don't pass this test, I'm going to die, then I uh, flip over into such a high level of anxiety that my performance deteriorates. But anxiety can be a good thing because it can uh, prompt us to be motivated and to want to do good things. Um, uh, the writer goes on, when it comes to dealing with anxiety, the first priority is to listen to yourself. Imagine you've been sitting with free-floating anxiety for a couple of days, trying to ignore it, just keep calm, but it's getting to you. So you decide to tune in to what your anxiety is telling you. Go through a mental checklist. Is it the fight I had with my spouse? Nope, that got resolved. Work deadline? Nope, that's well in hand. Is it my acid reflux, which has gotten worse, giving me stomach pains? Yes, that's it. And then you can begin to take action on it. Now, a real important thing to remember here from Scripture is the invitation that we're given, for example, by the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church at Philippi, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And it's very interesting. Even in the field of positive psychology, researchers find that when you connect practices, like becoming mindful in the face of anxiety, when you connect those to God, bring my anxiety to God, it actually makes them more, more powerful in renovating the heart, in producing life change. So the idea here is anxiety can be a good thing because it can be a cue to pray. So when Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, uh, he's not saying suppress the anxiety. The idea is not that you could just make it go away by an act of the will. It's really manage it well. Use it as something that brings you to God. Another observation I thought was really helpful. It's crucial to channel the benefits of anxiety, like persistence and hope, towards purpose. A Canadian psychologist coined the term excellencist for people who strive towards excellence and savor having a person. They experience higher levels of anxiety than uh, people who, uh, than their less striving counterparts, but don't suffer the burdens of perfectionism the relentless pursuit of flawlessness that leads to high rates of burnouts. So being a perfectionist is different than being an excellencist. Turns out that people who tend to pursue excellence over perfection, in one British study, make mistakes, but they come up with more and more original answers. Kind of like Thomas Edison that says, I haven't failed, I've just discovered 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. And this is classically the Apostle Paul. Not that I've already arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the mark. Whatever is excellent. Not a perfectionist, but pursue excellence with God. And that brings me to a last observation about 
what I think is very often needed in secular uh, studies or observations of the human condition. And you can, you can read, uh, you, you, you can bring that observation to bear in this article here. Author writes, I reap the benefits of anxiety during one of the most difficult experiences of my life. When my infant son was diagnosed with a heart condition requiring open heart surgery. It was anxiety that kept me going. Even when I was running on empty, I worried and planned, read everything I could find on his condition, imagined all the possible outcomes, found the best doctors, persevered through every obstacle and sleepless night. Today at 13 years old, he runs on the school track team, lives like he never had a heart condition. I would say it was not just anxiety that kept her going. It was love plus anxiety. And... Uh, here's where I think remembering that human beings are transcendent creatures. We are spiritual beings. This article, as often is the case, will talk about how we have evolved to experience anxiety. And she actually says that uh, anxiety is a triumph of evolution. However, um, as a grand narrative for human life, evolution doesn't quite do it. <laughs> There's a garbage track. I don't know if you can hear him. Um, Jay Gould uh, would often write about this. Uh, evolve, as Darwin uses the term, simply means adapt in order to survive. There is no hint of moral progress in it. Cockroaches have evolved so that they can survive nuclear holocaust. Often, because we always need to find purpose and meaning in life, a secular narrative will use evolve as though it points to moral progress. Evolution can tell us why we do what we do towards survival. It cannot tell us why we should do something. That requires a transcendent narrative, and that is God. I mentioned I'm in my mom's yard. I think I mentioned that right now. This is where my sister and I sat after my dad's cremains had come back after he'd been cremated, and we were pouring them into an urn, and parts of them blew a little bit in the wind. And when my sister was telling her granddaughter about that, uh, she just started to giggle and said, you mean maybe Beepa's nose is out here in the backyard? And then we remember uh, we're not just particles. We're not just products of evolution. We are spiritual beings. And ultimately, anxiety is a kind of sacred wound that points us to God. It is not just a product of evolution. It is not just useful because it might help us to think or run fast about the future. It is an indication that God has placed eternity in our hearts and that there is a longing for something that is deeper than uh, atoms and molecules and bread to eat. That we were not made to be alone. That we were made to be with God. And anxiety can be an invitation for us to turn to God. So you can do that this day. And I believe it is in those moments that anxiety um, achieves its highest fulfillment. When it propels us to the only one in whose arms we can ever be fully safe. The only one in whose love we can ever be completely at home. Guard and lift up your hearts. See you next time.